Hi, my name is Matthew Belisario. Welcome to the Catholic Champion Podcast. It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to do a podcast of my own. I've been releasing some of the FSSP priests here in Sarasota, their sermons on, on the uh, iTunes. And I've also been busy doing a lot of research on St. Thomas Aquinas, reading through many works uh, by scholars on his thought and of the historical background of his time and so forth. And I'm going to be putting out a work at some point here in the near future, an apologetic work in uh, taking St. Thomas's writings and his thought and using them in an apologetics form to defend the Catholic Church's teaching on scripture, tradition, uh, the papal authority, and so on and so forth. And so hopefully I'll be able to condense some of that down to, uh, to be posted on the internet in, in uh, response to Turd and fans comments on Thomas Aquinas and formal sufficiency of scripture, material sufficiency and all of that. So hopefully I'll have a chance to post something here in the near future, but I'm in no hurry. I uh, am putting together a lot of information and so I really want to package it well before I put it out. Now, I wanted to talk about Dr. James White. He recently put up a post and he titled it uh, something to the effect of uh, Soli Ecclesia Defined. And it's just, Dr. White is, just refuses to uh, recognize the church's teaching and insists to come up with his own definitions of what the church means to the Catholic church uh, rather than looking at what the church says about the church. But uh, that's what Dr. White does. Um so let's, let me take a look at this the Sola Ecclesia business that Dr. White has done. Now, what Dr. White likes to do is to take the authority of the church and try to uh, align it or oppose it, uh, oppose the authority of Scripture against it. So he tries to come up with this false dichotomy between Scripture and the church and tries to say, well, if the scriptures are the ultimate authority, then the church cannot be the ultimate authority, for one cannot be over one another and, and, and things like that. And he just doesn't realize that he's fallen into this post-Protestant uh, uh, mentality that really developed in the 1500s. Uh, we never really saw it addressed on, uh, on a, any kind of a large scale that we saw after the Reformation, post-Reformation, or what the Protestants call Reformation. Of course, we as Catholics do not call uh, the Reformers Reformers because they didn't really reform anything. They just protested against what already existed. And therefore, they came up with their own definitions of what the authority of Scripture meant. And Dr. White has fallen into the same mentality. Looking at the church fathers, they never would even have considered looking at Scripture in this way, or the church uh, in, in, in the way that Dr. White has described it. Because certainly the Catholic Church does not uh, define itself uh, under the under the, the way that Dr. White has defined it, as if it's just an, a lone uh, authority on its own and just has the, the right to do whatever it wants and, and so on and so forth. It's very far from the truth. So what I wanted to do is take a look at some of the writings of Pope Benedict. And this also ties in with Thomas Aquinas. As we know, Pope Benedict is very well versed in the writings of St. Thomas and in the uh, philosophy of St. Thomas and the historical age of St. Thomas. He has studied the uh, University of Paris quite well during this time period and is very, very familiar with 
uh, with St. Thomas's work. Now, one thing that I want to talk about is scripture tradition in the church. Now, post-Reformation, the Catholic Church had to do some damage control because the authority of Scripture was being taken completely in a new direction that had never gone before. And so the Church came up with different metaphors to try and explain tradition and Scripture in the Church and how they could not be separated. Uh, some of them came up with the analogy of a three-legged uh, stool and, and this kind of thing. And those are all metaphors or, or different analogies that, to, to use to try to explain this. But ultimately, the church had never viewed uh, any of these to be separate from one another or their authorities to be separated from one another. There's, it's very clear from the church fathers and from Thomas Aquinas and, and even Pope Benedict that the scriptures have a rightful authority of their own, but that authority is never divorced from the authority of the church or the authority of, of the oral kerygma, the living tradition that's passed uh, down uh, throughout the centuries from the apostles, from Christ. This living line cannot uh, be broken within the church. And we have to understand scripture within this context because, and this is what Dr. Beckwith was talking about. As we know, Dr. Beckwith made some points about uh, reading scripture using logic and misinterpreting it and talking about the Arian crisis. And Dr. Beckwith was exactly right in that people can read the scripture and not have the faith. People can read the scripture with uh, basic logic and misinterpret it and not understand what it's saying. Now, this is contrary to what Dr. White says. Dr. White's jumping up and down saying, well, this is not true. If it's not logical, or if it's logical, then they're going to come up with the correct interpretation and all this kind of sort of stuff, and that's not true. Even Thomas Aquinas talks about this. Uh, that's not saying, uh, let me clarify this, because I don't want people to misunderstand me. It doesn't mean that what the scriptures teach are not logical. It just means that people can read scripture with different logic. In other words, if we pick up a book and read it, there's a certain logical methodology that we use to understand what's written. People do that with the scriptures. Pope Benedict XVI talks about this in his book, God's Word. And I really want to read this because I think it kind of sums up, uh, really sums up what Dr. Beckwith had talked about. And um, Dr. Beckwith, you know, they just all sat back and mocked Dr. Beckwith. They really can't stand the fact that he's Catholic now. And they, they just can't stand the fact that, that he'll stand up for the church. And they, they just sit back and mock him when he, when he, when he makes these, these points, which I think are right on the money. Now, I want to read this from Pope Benedict XVI. It's from page 52 in his book called God's Word. I highly recommend uh, that you pick up a copy and read it because it really summarizes the Catholic, Catholic thought regarding church, scripture, and tradition. He says the following. You can have scripture without having revelation. Let me stop right there. Most Protestants will jump up and down and say, oh, what are you saying? You're saying that scripture is not revelation? That's exactly what we're saying. In the sense that in its just reading it as a text, it's not revelation. Let me continue. For revelation always and only becomes a reality where there is faith. The non-believer remains under the veil of which Paul talks about in the third chapter of his second letter to the Corinthians. We'll look at that in a moment. He can read scripture, know what is in it, can even understand it at a purely intellectual level. This is exactly what Dr. Beckwith was saying. What is meant, he continues, what is meant 
and how what is said hangs together and yet he is not shared in the revelation. Rather, revelation has only arrived where in addition to the material assertions witnessing to it, its inner reality has itself become effective after the matter, manner of faith. Consequently, the person who receives it is also part of the revelation to a certain degree, for without him it does not exist. You cannot put revelation in your pocket like a book you carry around with you. End quote. This really summarizes what Dr. Beckwith was saying. You can't just take scripture and read it. You can, and you can look at it with just uh, pure rational logic, and you can come up with some pretty uh, erroneous conclusions. It doesn't mean that the true interpretation is contrary to logic, uh, but it can only be understood properly through faith, through the living tradition of the church, through the living entity in which the scriptures were recognized. That's another point that I want to make. The church is not above the scriptures. The church didn't uh, essentially invent the scriptures. No, what the church did was recognize the scriptures for what they were. The church recognized, ah, this is God's word. It's the authority of God's word. We recognize this. St. Thomas talks about that. Scripture being the rule of faith. Yes, it is a rule of faith. Uh, much in the same way that the Constitution is uh, summarizes what, uh, you know, what, what the, the courts have to follow in the United States and so forth. Uh, but yet not everything is contained in the written text itself. And it can't even be understood uh, by itself without some body that interprets it. Now, the important point to recognize here is that the church is the authorized uh, body that recognizes God's word as being uh, the authentic God, you know, the, God's authentic word. And so as Christ appointed the apostles to teach his word, he didn't go around and hand out New Testament Bibles. Uh, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus gave us an authority to follow in the sense that, hey, this is the church that I'm going to give you. It will recognize the truth no matter where it is. This is what Jesus told us. And it's, that's verified in the scriptures. What Dr. White uh, is saying is not verified in the scriptures. Uh, no one ever said that, Jesus never said, here are, is the New Testament, this is all you need, or even with the, in United with the Old Testament, this is all you need. No. Uh, and St. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians, where he recognizes that there was a veil over uh, the people's eyes. They couldn't even understand the Old Testament properly. And now that has been remedied by Christ coming, breathing life into the church, the same spirit which recognizes the scriptures is also the same spirit and truth that recognizes and interprets, not just recognizes, but interprets the scripture. And this is, I think, I'm not going to speak for Dr. Beckwith, but I think this is what he was getting at, was that during the Arian controversy, people could read, open up the scriptures. They weren't enlightened by the eyes of faith. They didn't have the eyes of faith. And they just read with pure logic. And well, well, you know, this, this appears to be pretty rational. Well, you know, it, that may be a, 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 a rational conclusion, but it doesn't make it the right one. There can be several rational conclusions that one can come up with, but there may only, but there, but there's only one right answer. Um, so Dr. White keeps insisting that there's this conflict. It just doesn't exist. Uh, for instance, St. Thomas Aquinas would never have imagined uh, this, this Protestant mentality of people taking the scriptures as just an authority that stands on their own. It just, he wouldn't even have thought that from all of my reading, all the scholars that I've read so far, and in his writings, uh, he just didn't view it this way. He viewed the church and, and divine revelation, doctrine, 
uh, the authority of the scriptures, all of these were one entity for him. He, he didn't see any, any op, uh, opposing authorities here. And the Catholic Church doesn't see any opposing or teach any opposing authorities either. The, the church can only give us what is recognized, uh, what God gives us. The church recognizes the authentic divine revelation given to us by God. That's the point. There's no opposing authority. The church is not, does not stand on its own and tell us uh, that it has authority, quote-unquote authority, over the scriptures in a sense. No, the scriptures alone have their authority as uh, within the body of the church. These are all one, one entity. We can't split them. We can't even say that they're two sources. We can't say that really tradition and scripture are, are two ultimate sources that arrive from two completely different places. Um, the church used uh, an analogy of a, of a two sources after the time of the Reformation to prove a point that they couldn't be separated. But when we look at it, the only source is Christ. Christ is the word of God. It's within this faith that we understand what divine revelation is. And it's only within this faith that we recognize the scriptures as being the written word of God. And so Dr. White really here is inventing an opposition that just doesn't exist. It didn't exist with the church fathers. It wasn't even in the rationality to do so. That's why when Dr. White and Turk and Fan and all of his buddies go through and cut and paste all of these quotes by church fathers saying, oh, look, he said the scriptures and authority, scriptures and authority. That, that doesn't even phase a, a Catholic who's, very, who's familiar with the writings of the time and the mentality of the church fathers who have studied that. It, it, all that is is cut and paste apologetics. That's what I call that. Cut and paste pop apologetics. Uh, you go through and you cut out as many uh, quotes as you can by the church fathers that say scriptures and authority. And then you stop around telling everybody that your uh, definition of sola scriptura is, is what the church fathers taught. That's uh, garbage. It's called junk scholarship. Uh, the church fathers never thought that way. Pope Benedict doesn't think that way. And the Catholic Church just doesn't teach it that way if you really go in-depth and really read what the Church teaches. In all of her documents, not just pulling out uh, one or two quotes from the Council of Trent, uh, where they were actually trying to counter this mentality that was brought on by the Protestants. And so there was a reason for defining things as they did during the Council of Trent. But we must understand that this whole... A church versus scripture thing just doesn't exist within the Catholic Church. It just, they can't be separated. Uh, and we can't even say that tradition and scripture really run alongside of each other. As some people have, have kind of said, they're, they're really the same word. You can't separate the same substance. God's word's God's word. One may be in the form of, of, of holy writ. The other may be in the form of apostolic oral kerygma, but they're not separate they're not two different entities they're not opposing entities and the church herself is the is the the body of christ that recognizes these as being what they are and is able to to tell us what they mean and so i think this is very important i think dr white has really done a disservice by just shallow this, this shallow scholarship that he's that he keeps putting forth it just doesn't address the issues and i think uh what dr white did and uh Steve Hayes and, and, and Turden fan, all these other guys sitting back mocking uh, Dr. Beckwith like this is just completely unprofessional. And they, they really just have no clue uh, what Dr. Beckwith was even talking about, apparently, because what Dr. Beckwith said was exactly right. I want to continue on with a couple more things that I posted on addressing Dr. White. 
and one of them or two of them were dealing with historical inaccuracies that Dr. White has presented over and over and over again. I was on his radio show last year, and he we, we discussed the papacy, and um, he talked about Pope Liberius and talked about uh, Athanasius specifically, and he claimed that Athanasius never appealed to Rome or never went to Rome and recognized the uh, authority of the Pope at that time, and I disagreed with him on the on the on that show, and he kept insisting that I was incorrect. And he told me to go and do some real research, I think is what he told me to do, and, and go go uh, read a real history book on church history, I think is what he told me. And I went through and I read several different sources, and they all disagree with Dr. White. And I'm going to just list those here, because St. Athanasius did go to Rome during the Arian controversy, and he did recognize the authority of the Pope. Here are some of my sources that I found this. Scholar Warren H. Harrell, pages 21 through 22. In his book, The Building of Christendom, tells us that Athanasius placed himself under Pope Julius. He appealed to him uh, for help during the Arian crisis. Scholar Adrian Fortescue, in his book on the papacy, page 71, says that he uh, appealed to Rome, to Pope Julius, during the Arian controversy. Uh, Reverend Hoare, on pages 143 to 144 of his work uh, titled The 18th Centuries of the Greek Orthodox Church, tells us that Pope Julian... Uh, had a council exonerating Athanasius, and that Athanasius did appeal to Rome. Scholar Don Chapman tells us the same thing in his work, that uh, Athanasius appealed to Rome. There are some old sources written by uh, Theodoret, which says the very same thing, that uh, Rome summoned uh, Athanasius to Rome uh, for judgment. Uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia, for what it's worth, says that Athanasius made his appeal to Pope Julius during this controversy. Uh, the Lives of the Saints by Judge Crowley says the same thing. Athanasius took himself to Rome to await a hearing of his case by the Pope. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six different sources that I've used that all say that Athanasius either was called to Rome or went to Rome on his own accord to uh, subject himself to Rome's authority. The last thing I want to talk about was poor Pope Liberius. Uh, Dr. White insists over and over again on using Pope Liberius as being an Arian, as to being some sort of ace in the hole for tearing down the authority of the papacy. But Dr. White has apparently not done a lot of research on this particular issue, and a lot of people don't, including Catholics, I must say, because there are Catholics who have fallen into uh, believing that Pope Liberius signed some th sort of Arian, uh, Arian uh, document. And there is a really nice article. It's actually an old scholarly work by Father Rohrbacher. It was put online by the monks of uh, Papa Strance, and they reproduced that online. And this scholar really went through several, many, he went through many, many sources, historical sources, including some of the fragments that were written by some of the, the saints, like uh, St. Hilary and St. Jerome. And he pieced the dates together and pieced the, the, all the information together from different uh, historians. And he came to the conclusion that there's no proof that Pope Liberius signed any statements in exile. Uh, there's no proof that while he was in, uh, that while he was in exile, he excommunicated St. Athanasius. And he does a very long uh, scholarly work on this, and I would 
encourage all of you to read that and then come back and and, and if you're going to disagree with agree with him that's fine but you'd better go through this whole document and you'd better pull out all the different uh, the you know, he went through and, and analyzed each each of these different uh, statements by different scholars and he refuted them and he brought forth the sources to do so so if you're going to disagree with him you'd better go through his writing and you'd better pull out uh, different uh, arguments encounter them each one because he really goes through the issue of Liberius and the Aryan crisis very very in, in, in great detail so I wanted to uh, just address those couple of things because Dr. White just seems to keep hanging on to certain things. Even when he's been proven wrong, he'll just hang on to the same thing. I don't know if any of you have ever listened to the debate between him and Robertson Genis uh, in regards to papal infallibility. But if you really listen to that, it's about almost three hours long, I believe. I just listened to it a couple of days ago again. If you really listen to that, you can see how uh, Robertson Genis really just tears Dr. White apart. Every time he brings forth some of these historical accusations uh, dealing with the papacy, the different popes like Pope Honorius and things like that. And Robert just really goes through and pulls the historical context of the whole thing and just blows Dr. White out of the water. And yet Dr. White, even at the end of the debate, just kept trying to just push, push on, push forth, even though he had been proven wrong several times. Uh, none of the examples that he brought forth fit any of the criteria that were provided by uh, the Catholic Church in regards to papal infallibility, but Dr. White just refused to to even acknowledge it, even when it was proven from history uh, that those the, the different things with Pope Agatho and these, these different things that were pointed out, uh, Dr. White just refused to, to admit that he was wrong. And this is very much the same things with all these other historical uh, tidbits that Dr. White throws out that he, that he thinks that they shore up his argument against the, the papacy and against the authority of the papacy, but they don't. This whole Iberius thing is garbage. So is the whole with Athanasius and, and so on. And so I really want to encourage Catholics to really make sure that you investigate these things very thoroughly before you just take somebody's word for something. Um, you can. It's easy to throw out a shotgun spray uh, attacking several things about, about the Catholic Church, and you throw out just the one-liners, historical little one-liners, and it takes a long time to go through and correct them all. And that's, that's really a tactic that, uh, that Dr. White and his uh, cohorts use. I thank you very much for listening to this podcast. And we'll be back, hopefully, with uh, uh, a post on Dr. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas and uh, looking at how he viewed Scripture. Thank you very much, and may God bless and keep you. Until next time.